what was interesting to find out in this book was this was also a huge surprise to Garrick. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they just didn't tell him <laughs> yeah, they that they were like, oh, leaving. Yeah. He woke up one morning and all the other Cardassians had fucked off. And he was just alone on this planet of people who'd been abused for a century. <laughs> By people like him. And he's like, well, right. I will he's hang out in my room. He's suddenly the last Nazi in France. And he was like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome back to Reginald's Book Club. Now, I mean, you guys are probably used to this by now, but he's not here. He's just, he's... Okay, so the good news is, he invented teleportation. The bad news is, the first thing he did was accidentally teleport a clone himself, and now he's fighting to the death on top of some very dramatic-looking rocks somewhere in L.A. Mm -hmm. So, we'll, we'll best of luck to whichever one of him survives the day. But fortunately, fortunately, yet another one of my lovely, talented friends has agreed to fill in for him. Please welcome Jesse Gender. Hello! I am not a Tuvix clone, transporter clone, I promise you. <laughs> Thank God for that, otherwise we'd have to hide you from Janeway and her mm -hmm. murderous, murderous ways. Like, it, you know, it turns out it's not, it wasn't even a, a, a rough, once-in-a-lifetime decision to like she's just really aggressive towards <laughs> transporter mixing. Like she's been like after she got back to the Alpha Quadrant, everyone was just like they actually found out a string of murders that she'd committed. Oh <laughs> like she'd been tracking down <laughs> these transporter clones and murdering each one. It was awful. This was... it was weird. The things that Janeway hates the most is she hates uh, time travel rules and she mm -hmm. hates uh, clone hybrids. <laughs> You know, no joke, I've actually been on a Voyager kick recently. I've been uh, binging the entire season, and it's really... I know there are some... There's some feedback you can give to the show, but I think overall I've been... It's really got more flack than it deserved. My feeling on it is, like, yeah, it's, it feels like very comfort food Star Trek, and I think the frustration people have with it is that it's... It had so much potential to be more, like the whole, like, yeah. um, um, Maquis storyline with, like, the two different crews. Yes, that could have been mined for so much more. But, mm. like, the, and so I feel like people feel the loss of, like, there's so much more you could have done with this. But what it yeah. is, is actually, like, it's got some really mm. great episodes and good stuff in there. Like, it yeah. just, I think the lost potential is what people feel frustrated the most about. Absolutely. But I, remind me when we get to the VIP section, remind, say, hey, Don, tell me about your favorite episode of Star Trek Voyager. Because actually, mm. I, this was one that I missed on the original run back when TV was, you missed it or you watched it or you missed it. Um, yeah. Because that's how old I am. Um, yeah, but now streaming it, I, I watched a, miss, a missed episode. It just became my new favorite episode of, like, maybe Star Trek. Ooh, it, yeah. really? So, VIP section for All my right. lovely patrons. We will, we will do that. That'll be fun. But, yeah, so we're getting, uh, as usual on this podcast, we got instantly distracted. But we are here to talk <laughs> about A Stitching Time by, oh, my gosh, I forgot to write down the actor's name. Andrew Garrick's. Robinson. Andrew Robinson, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Garrick himself. Yep. It is. That's not as embarrassing as when George R. R. Martin told me the name of the author like four times. And I still said it wrong. <laughs> I did. I did hear that a little bit on the podcast. That was a fun conversation, but that's that's hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's it's fun. And that's my mandatory drop that I hung it's out like with George my, my R. R. Best, Martin. My bestie. My bestie. My, George my close R. R. personal friend, George yeah. R. R. Martin. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I, mean, I, I call him Germ. His, <laughs> his real friends call him Germ. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, 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 this is, I mean, my audience is not, probably not as 100% versed in Star Trek as yours is, because mm -hmm. my, my good friend Jesse here is a predominantly Star Trek YouTuber. I mean, you yeah. cover a range of subjects, but it's usually around the core 
you know, yeah, the core, like, it's, it, it orbits all around Star Trek at some point, and even if it doesn't involve Star Trek, I will crowbar Star Trek into it, is generally mm-hmm. the rule. So, yeah, that yep. is my main bread and butter. <laughs> so, so just to give you guys some backstory here, uh, this is an actor who was in Deep Space Nine, which was the first spin-off from Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of famous for being a lot more politically charged. Well, I mean, Star Trek's always, but this one in particular was just like, this. Yeah. the politics is like the number one thing in mm-hmm. it. Uh you know, it's. I personally think it's one of the best Star Treks. Uh, no, it's my it, per- I think it is the best Star Trek. My personal favorite is Lower Decks, but I think qualitatively this is the best one. It's my second favorite. So, mm-hmm. so Garrick is. He's not a minor character, but he's definitely not in every episode. So he's mm-hmm. like a B-lister actor. He's. Uh, he's famous for being in what's considered the best episode of Deep Space, uh, the Pale Moonlight, mm-hmm. and he's also famous for being the most bisexual motherfucker <laughs> on the show. He's. Yes. Constantly flirting with uh, Doctor Bashir, one of the main characters. In fact, and that's it, and that's textual too. Like, um, like it, it's never explicitly stated, but the actor Andrew Robinson is like, I couldn't figure out how to like play a spy with this character. So, but what I could play was sexual tension. So mm-hmm. I played that, and they never yes. made it explicit because of the ethos on Star Trek, where like the producer was yeah. like, oh, we don't, we don't actually say it. We're not allowed to say anything. But it was, it was definitely <sighs> present. So. Yeah. Well, well, this is foreshadowing for something we're going to have to discuss mm-hmm. once we discuss the book. Uh, but yeah, so that's the two things this character's known for. He is a Cardassian. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to say Cardassians are space Nazis, or is that simplifying it too No, much? that's that's essentially... I mean, I would say space fascists. Like, you could yeah. get technical and say, like, not all fascists are Nazis, but all Nazis are fascists, yeah. and, like, basically space Nazis, yeah. Yeah. Star Trek is famous for basing its uh, alien races on a particular political group or country. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, the Romulans were space Romans. The mm-hmm. Klingons were like a combination of the Soviets and the Mongolian Empire, depending on what they needed them to be. The, yep. both, both species sort of evolved into their own thing. With a loud truck with the <laughs> I heard that. I was like, what is that? Are the Klingons coming yeah. to get you? Oh, no. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, the Cardassians were the, the space fascists. They, Deep Space Nine begins with them. Um, the Federation is taking over, sort of, they're not, but, but Planet called Bajor, which is like occupied France, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Cardassians are pulling out. They've got everything they need for, and it's just too much work looking, like dealing with the insurgents, with the resistance movement. So the Federation is not like taking over the planet, but they're sort of coming to keep an eye on things and help out with the restoration and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Garrick is the one Cardassian who stayed behind. And it's sort of assumed that he's like a spy in plain sight, where everyone's mm-hmm. like... We kind of know you're a spy, Garrick, but we can't really, really throw you out it. without creating mm-hmm. a political incident. We can't. And he's just, the thing is, he's just a really pleasant guy. He's in- mm-hmm. incredibly friendly. Yeah. yeah. He's got a winning smile. He's just very friendly. He's, he actually gives out sage advice on occasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, yeah, we know you're a fascist spy, but gosh darn it, you're just so damn charming, Garrick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he, he worked. And he works as a tailor on yeah. the space station, Deep Space Nine, and that's that's kind of his thing. Um, mm-hmm. He has an arc, like everyone does, where you find out more about him as you go on. Um, and at, at one point, the Obsidian Order, the uh, the sort of secret, so the secret Gestapo, police, yeah. the secret yeah. police that he was working for, is completely wiped out. So he suddenly has no purpose. So it's like, well, shit, I'm, I, he has kind of a mental breakdown because his entire reason for existing. And it's also true. It's also like he's an exile from yes. from like he technically has some nominal relationships with with the secret police, but even even mm-hmm. there, he's sort of like kicked out from them for things which is greatly the expanded yeah. upon in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so 
the the actor uh, had a you know was very like in the way of most Star Trek people was very very into this character, and he has now written a book. Uh, from this character's perspective, and he recorded mm. the audiobook, which is very yeah. cool. What was what was very cool about how this was done too is apparently this was um, his. Uh, he he would write like a diary of the character as he played him over the years. Um, yeah, so this was started as a diary that he just wrote for his own character, and then he would read it at fan conventions. Um, to to just fans listening, and uh, I think David Goodman, I believe, was the author. But another Star Trek author sort of overheard one of these, and he's like, "You should you should try and sell that um, to 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 the Simon and Schuster at the time. I think there's something else now, or some weird funky stuff with that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, so he did, and they accept it, and so they he expanded it out into a full novel. But yeah, this was it started off originally as just a um, just stuff that he wrote at, for his own sake to play the character. See, I love, I love that. Because, um, like, I know the guy who played Garon got really into the character, too. So mm-hmm. he did a lot of, like, convention stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I have to say, unlike some actors we have previously discussed, he managed to write <laughs> the story without making his character the most important person in multiple universes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so love him for that. I love that yeah. for him. Um, yeah, so uh, the the book is called A Stitch in Time, which is obviously a reference to uh, both the act, you know, the the metaphor for fixing things before they uh, get worse, and the fact that he's a tailor. I I had a weird feeling, I, it's something in my brain was still like, this is a weird title because isn't this used for a much more famous book? And I, after weeks, I suddenly realised I was getting it mixed up with A Wrinkle in Time. I I did the same thing too when I was young. I would do that all. Then I was like, wait, did did Garrick write that novel? But mm. um, but also, like, speaking on the title, the other thing, too, with it that I really love, because it is, like, the whole idea of a stitch in time is, yeah, fixing things before they become a problem, which is, like, his job as a spy. And then also the fact that he's a tailor. But then the third thing, too, is, like, this book is told over three different timelines of yes. um, uh, him, his sort of backstory before the show, him, like, during a time period near the end of the series. Like before, season like, seven? Yeah, around. like, right before the Federation was going to kind of go and liberate from Cardassia, his homeland, from another fascist occupier that they came and let uh, take over them, the Dominion, which is his own whole story. And then a third timeline set after the show where, you know, Cardassia is in rubble because of all of that. And they're sort of healing kind of like a post... uh, The best equipment, even though this isn't exactly one, but like kind of a uh, post-World War II Nazi It is, Yeah, it's very much like Berlin after Mm -hmm. the Second World War where, like, a good two-thirds of the city or the planet has been Mm -hmm. demolished because the Dominion don't take losing lightly. Uh, Yeah. Unfortunately. And so that title, like, is kind of... For me, it's like him stitching together his life and, like, trying to find... I think it's just, like, a beautiful tale of, like, healing, like, creating a healing yeah. stitch through, like, looking at your traumas throughout time. I think it was really yes, a, a cause, cool Yeah, because the first timeline, there's a lot of indoctrination. There's a lot of him being, you know, trained to be this this fascist... Uh, it's Like, he doesn't openly be a fanatic about it, but he also, like... People try to tell him about how great democracy is, and his first thought is, fuck off. <laughs> this is you so childish. Sanct- yeah, you sanctimonious, naive children. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's definitely into the whole fascism thing. He's just not, like, a dick about it, which is really weird. Yeah. It's like well, the scary type of indoctrinated. Well, it, what, what's really, what I think is, like, this, the book gets so right about this that I think often a lot of, like, portrayals of like when you talk about fascist characters, is they tend to be like cartoonishly evil, and some certainly can be, like obviously so, and it's important to recognize like Nazi, uh, Nazis fucking suck, fascists fucking suck, you can punch them in the face, it's a good thing to do. But, um, but when you're trying to like talk about how people get to that place, 
Um, what this book does really well is it showcases like how it's just it's it's a lifetime of being just told these things over and over and over again and not even really being exposed to things like he is told like your life is for the state from a, mm -hmm. from like early childhood like nothing matters your individual needs don't matter you should yeah. suffer traumas and tra upon trauma for the state and not care about yourself and s s shove it to the side and he gets these like moments throughout the book of like almost being human for lack of a better word, becoming a person, yeah. but then he shoves it down. He's like, no, I need to be for the state. Yeah. And he also, he's, he's very much taught that as long as it is for the betterment of the mm -hmm. state, there is nothing you can do wrong. No matter mm -hmm. what you're doing, it is moral as long as it is for the betterment of the state and for the good of the many. Mm -hmm. so, or exactly. the good of the state, not quite mm -hmm. the many. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's very, no, I, I will say this book is very, very accurate to what I've heard about from, you know, real life political historians and Psycho you know, psychologists about the nature of in fascist indoctrination, but also uh, the healing process from that and how you mm -hmm. overcome that. Because at the end, um, the I mean, spoilers for the end of the book. Where usually there's spoilers in this podcast, so you know, just be aware of that when you're listening. Yeah, but, and also for Deep Space Nine, I guess too. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the main way that they overcome a fascist attempt to retake power is by non-violent protest, because the people who were making a bid for power needed there to be violence. They needed there to be violent resistance to them so they could sow chaos and use it as a power mm -hmm. grab. And what the, the more progressive Kardashians did was they just refused to become violent. They stood together mm -hmm. and they refused to take any shit, but they never punched back. Mm -hmm. And the fascists just had their, their, their power base eroded, which is, I mean, I saw an essay about how that is like the best way to combat uh, Let them people die when they science. try to... Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... Damn, you know, this book is like really on the money when it comes to all of this sort of political and psycho psychological stuff. It's, yeah. it's really fascinating. Because, yeah, what the what fascism tries to do is create like a constant us versus them, right? It's like, it's us, it's our side versus everyone else. And so if you kind of break that down, it's like, no, we don't need you. We're, we like, we, we actually want to care about each other in a cohesive community. And we don't, you're, you're like a paranoid weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Then, then that's how you sort of like break that down in a really beautiful way. And, and I love how like, especially at the end of the book, like he goes, Garrick goes into a meeting because there are the fascists that are like having a meeting at one point to be like, yeah, we need to stop this idea of democracy. And he sort of yeah. sits there and he goes like, wow, these people are just sitting here acting like nothing is, we are in rubble. Yeah. And they are still doing the same thing. And he initially had planned to be like, I'm going to be a double agent here. And I'm going to like try and like sow chaos. And he just, and he just sits there and he goes like, I'm tired of that. Yes. I, yeah. I mean, I'm so tired of playing the spy game. I'm tired of playing the, the mind games, the power grab games. And you feel tired with him because this is after three timelines worth of him going, working through this shit. Mm -hmm. So... It's it's very well structured to the point where it's just like, yeah, I get you, Garrick. Like, yes, mm -hmm. it probably would be more useful if you could play that game. But also, yeah, everyone's tired. Cardassia mm -hmm. is tired mm -hmm. of a, all this shit. Yeah, it's a really uh, – that that whole post – I mean, we're kind of jumping around, but, like, that post timeline of him uh, – just like trying to figure out what he's feeling is like, because it, it's initially like he's just there helping rebuild and he gets stuck and he goes to Anabrantane's home, which is the home of his father who ran the, uh, for, for listeners, he's in the show, but he ran the um, Obsidian Order, the secret police, and didn't tell Garrick that he was his father. Um, Garrick kind of knew, but he didn't tell Garrick officially until in the show. Yeah. And, um, and, and, but used Garrick as like a tool and never actually treated him as like a son. <sighs> and, and so Garrick in the post, uh, war timeline, he 
kind of goes to that home and just starts piling things up. And he doesn't really know why. He's just doing mm -hmm. it to feel like he's doing something. And then other Cardassians come and see him do this, and they start doing the same thing because they're like, this is a memorial. You're, you're like, helping us heal. And he's like, I'm just doing it because I don't know what else. I just need to build something. I need to feel mm -hmm. like I'm building something out of this nothingness that we have all become. Yeah. And that actually that just needing to that coming through community and, and, and finding that, like, need to build then builds a community itself. Like, that was just such a, a beautiful visual met metaphor of, like, how you you try just something from trauma, just try to build yourself up, and then you connect with others. It was so, it was, I, I, I cried several times with this novel. It's really You cool. know, I did too. I'm not going to mm -hmm. lie. Like, yeah. two points. When, I know this is silly, but when Rom comes and they have <laughs> yeah, a moment yeah. together yeah. where he, he's been left behind on the station and the, the one person who's nice to him is Rom. And I'm just like, that's sweet little Ferengi munchkin. Yes. <laughs> of course it's Rom. Because I've always liked Rom and I feel bad. I'm glad he had a really, like, he got like a super hot wife by the end and got yeah. like to have his own career and everything. So I'm so glad Rom. Speak of the devil, um, literally this week, not to interrupt you, Rom's coming back on Lower Decks. <gasps> they're going to Ferenginar and they're having Rom and his I, wife Lita on the show. I love Lower Like, I know a lot of Star Trek fans who I'm friends with have some issue with Lower Decks because the cavalier way they treat everything. And <laughs> it's hard to, like, unionize it with the canon and stuff because it's such a different tone but the endorphin rush I, the dopamine from that show it's just so joyful of Star Trek and it's so funny what I love about Lower Decks and this is this is aside from the book and get back to the book I won't go I, we will, I've yes, made sorry. many Small videos tangents. but the love the reason I love Lower Decks so specifically is because I think it captures what I love most about Star Trek and I think Deep Space Nine 2 does too but in a different way which is it has such a earnest hope and, and love of others and the universe. Mm -hmm. um, like, every character on Lower Decks just, like, Tendi just also is my favorite character. She just always is so excited to be just kind to other people. And, yeah, yes. the Star Trek references are nice, but for me it's just that kindness that seeps through it. That, like, everyone is just nice. Like, even when a joke could have been, like, oh, you're ugly, it's actually, like, no, you're great! Like, this is wonderful! And I, and I love that. Um, and to bring it back to Deep Space Nine, like, that's the same ethos. Like, people say Deep Space Nine is the dark trek and it is darker and it's probably the darkest mm. of all the star treks um but what it does have is it still has like even in the darkness we can still find love and kindness and caring for each other and that's what i think this book really does show is like um to come back to like the pre uh or the 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 pre uh timeline of like garrick's like backstory one of the moments that i really really love that we get a few times and i kind of alluded to it earlier was garrick finding connection to community through art and, and and being entranced by it, but not understanding it, and then eventually being fearful of it. The first time he encounters it is with his the man who he thinks is his dad, who's just a gardener. And his dad is trying to, like, explain art to him of, like, you know, people, they have, like, the this the Habitian culture, which, like, the Kardashians say, is, like, those aren't really like us. Those are, like, the, the dirty people. The Neanderthals. Yeah, exactly. Cardassia. Yeah. It's like... It's like they would put on masks and become like these these representations of basically like describing theater uh, to Garrick. And Garrick just sits there, is like my and he's like writing from the future. He said, says he, he was trying to describe something for which I had no context. And he's like trying to understand art and and depthful meaning and 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 like the sense of spirit that his father is trying to impart to him, but he just doesn't get it. And then there's this beautiful moment later on where he goes and visits an art show. Um, and he gets so moved by it. and this is when he's working for the spy order, and he just hasn't seen himself as a person for so long. And he just goes, and he just has this moving experience 
But then right afterwards, he's like, how dare these people make me feel this way? I should maybe mm-hmm. report them. You know, yes. it's, yeah, it's just, it's this heartbreaking moment, you yeah. know? No, it's, there's, there's so many moments throughout that. Like, I have to, I was just shocked. But I mean, I, I've read really good books that exist within a, you know, science fiction IP, like the Thrawn mm-hmm. trilogy, Ed the Empire, Star Wars books, for example. But like, this is the first, one of the first Star Trek books. I was like, wow, this guy is just, a genuinely really talented author and mm-hmm. he just happens to be writing a Star Trek book. Um, Honestly, oh, I, I think I could sand off the Star Trek edges of this and teach it in high school, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so I just, briefly going back, I know we were slightly contradictory We said, yes, punch a, punch a Nazi, but also <laughs> non-violent protest. I will say yeah. on an individual level, it's fine to punch a Nazi. On a uh, mass political level, non-violent protest. That's the difference. What, what, I, would, what I would say, like, my, my, the way I sort of think about it is, like, when, when there's a certain point where, like, the Nazis have, like, gotten to a point where, like, they are actively doing violence, like, mm. yes, you should punch a Nazi. Otherwise, when they're trying to, like, mobilize and get, like, their thoughts, like, out into the world, it's like, no, don't, res- don't respond yeah. to them. Like, don't, don't give them credence because their their thoughts don't like require credence it's like the whole thing is like don't debate a nazi because then it makes them seem equal it's like no you let them die in silence when they're doing active violence and harming people and you need to defend folks yes punching a nazi is good um so yeah there there's you know it's it's about the situation it's 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 a nuanced thing but yes there is there's a time to punch a nazi and there's a time to refuse to let them escalate things into a riot exactly Uh, yes so use use your brain (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's it's almost as if not everything is ever always it's it's about like figuring out what the best response is and it's complicated but yeah there's Mm. the best way ultimately i agree with you is to like again the guiding principle is like let them die in silence because if no one hears what they have to say it then they can't spread their hateful ideology yeah so I will say, I do have to give this book some feedback. I, I don't know if it's just because I'm a big dum-dum, but because <laughs> there were three timelines and because there were big time jumps in every timeline, I mm-hmm. got a little lost in the middle. Like There was one yeah. point where it was, the, it was the first timeline, but he had graduated from Nazi school, or from espionage school, <laughs> yeah. and was now just like growing orchids for a bit before he got his first job. Mm-hmm. That bit I got confused with the post Dominion War bomb- bombed out bit. And I was like, wait, why is he now? Why is he looking for lodging? I was like, oh shit, no, this is the first timeline. So I would make I'll make a subtle defense of it, though I I do understand you very a lot. Um, but I, I actually will make a subtle defense of it is like kind of getting lost in the timeline because this is all framed as a letter he's telling Bashir, and so there's an element to me of like it kind of being part of it for him where he's just making these associations throughout his life as he writes of like, oh, I see these connections and, and these moments through time, it, like uh, stitching together these time moments, like through these bits. And, and, and it's supposed to make you get lost a little bit within it, which okay. I actually kind of that, that, that's my read on it. But yeah. I can if I'm making if I'm making an artistic defense of it, but I can also see it being confusing. I, I mean, you know, I it took me a long like most of the way through The Witcher before I realized that the, the timeline <laughs> oh, yeah. thing there too. That, so. that was con- well, though, that was that was convoluted in a way because like that. That would actually be a good comparison to me because, like, The Witcher doing the timeline shifts, like, it didn't feel like it added anything. Like, it mm. wasn't, like, saying – it was just trying to be more clever than the audience of being like, ooh, look, we're doing it out of order. Mm. Isn't that interesting to you? Um, whereas here, it feels like at least thematically can resonate, I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, on a different discussion, I might defend The Witcher a little bit, but I get what you mean. Um, <laughs> fair, 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 fair. But, yeah, uh, but yeah it's – it is just fascinating. I know, I know exactly what you mean in that, like, the chapters are arranged that the things that happened to his past then resonate with what he's doing in the, pre- in the, mm. 
middle timeline and the future timeline. Yeah. Um, but like I said, just because there were multiple jumps within each timeline, I just got yeah. a little lost in the weeds in the middle. But that yeah. might just be Dom being not that smart. No, no, no. I, I, I don't think you're wrong. I, I, was, I was making the devil's advocate argument on it, yeah. but I, think you're, I don't think you're wrong at all. So my second piece of feedback to this book, uh, which was the, my, the most disappointing thing I found in it. I mean, the framing device of this book is that he's writing a letter to Dr. Bashir. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I missed it because I have been known. I have like negative figures gaydar. But this seemed like there was no homo in this book. Potentially. He, he, this... he falls to pieces over two women and no men. And I was like, I thought this was his whole thing. <laughs> so here's this this is where I will get uh uh pull out my super trek nerdy cap on you okay. here. So basically, I agree with you. There there there's one moment that I do wish to call is that when he's at the Nazi school earlier on, he yes, does they... mention there he's in a all boys segment and he does refer to some of the other boys as handsome and I think he does say I had attraction to them or something along I, those I, I I he he usually and this again this could be me misremembering but like I felt like he no homoed after he's like I was attracted to their power or like he cuz like he he seemed like he was vibing with because there's the two older students the mm-hmm. Primark, are they call no the, prim- yeah, the prim- There's Primark and uh, oh, I forget names uh, yeah. changed throughout this because in school they weren't allowed to have names because they were trying to remove their sense of identity. So mm-hmm. they were all given names and numbers and ranks and stuff, but no names. Uh, no, sorry, not name. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was an older guy and an older girl. The guy at, at one point he said like it seemed like he was vibing with both of them, but then later on he clarified it's like oh I wanted to win his respect and her love. So it's like ah now it seems like you're trying to backpedal. And I, I don't know, like, I, again, well, my gay the, daughter, I met my friend's husband before I knew he was gay, because I have, <laughs> it's all straight over my head, I don't know why, but it is. Well, I just, I'm just saying, I, I my stupid, like, you know, uh, heteronormative brain was just, I was desperately looking for it, but I, I didn't see any. So, I, I kind of read the stuff at the school is, like, him being gay or at least fe- bisexual, and at least like feeling those feelings, but mm-hmm. having to put it in like I was, uh, but I, I was attracted to their power. That's like right, my, right because but, could, does Cadesia have a stance on yeah? On because sexuality? They, they yes, they, they I think it comes up several times throughout the book where like womanhood and femininity very similar to today is viewed as like less than a man, yeah. and, and like they they like call at certain points like oh are they going to turn all of our fighters into women, into women like yes. the federation. So, and There's also, what? like, they're really conservative about, like, m- traditional marriage values. Yes. Like, even having a child out of wedlock is, like, a... That's a life-ending scandal. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is it's very similar to, like, fascist policies of, like, you need to be in a monogamous relationship, produce more children for the state, and all your children just become functions for the state. And then also, if I, if I zoom out outside of the book itself as well, a few things that were going on at the time, and I actually... Um, well, just to give you, I'm going to try and do this as speed run this as quickly as possible. Rick Berman, who was the executive producer in charge of Star Trek at the time that this novel came out and also Deep Space Nine, he was very much like, do not, you cannot show gayness in Star Trek. It's a questionable whether he was an active homophobe. There's reports different ways from like David Gerald, who was a gay writer on Next Generation in the original series. Um, but at the very least, he was doing that sort of like apolitical thing. It was like, we can't do it. We don't want to rock the boat. And so he would never allow gayness to be explicit and created a culture mm-hmm. where that wasn't the case. Um, to the point where in the novels you could also not be gay. And I got a story that I'm going to – I actually did an interview with this guy and it's going to be in my video on Deep Space Nine that I have later on. But there's one of the authors of Star Trek, um, Michael um, – blanking on his last name, I'll put it. But he wrote um, a bunch of like Star Trek novels, specifically Star Trek Section 31 
um, the Star Trek Section 31 Next Generation novel, Rogue. And in that novel, he makes Hawk, the character that appears in the first Contact movie, who gets turned into a Borg and killed. Yes. They make him gay in that novel. But what he had to do to make that happen, because he himself was gay, he had an ally at, um, at the studio. Uh, that worked for Rick Berman and said, Rick Berman will never approve this. So what I'm going to do is we take the novel, put it at the bottom of the pile of things that he has to approve. We're going to go out and do a bunch of interviews with like the Advocate Out magazine saying, this is going to be our first gay character in Star Trek, but tell them not, not to release those stories until this specific day, which is the last day that Rick Berman can approve stuff, so that Rick Berman is then kind of forced to be able to have to say that like, we're amazing. doing it. And they announced it, and that was the first gay character in a novel in Star Trek. Hence why this novel couldn't do that. (laughs) I see. So this was not... Okay, okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, one one thing. They buried their fucking gays, though. Oh, 100%. Yes, yes. No, yeah. Hulk died. Yep. Uh, It is unfortunate that that is the thing. And to be fair, the book came out after the movie, so it was like the actor's like, well, he's a non-continuing... That was one of the things it says in the interview. It's like, he's a non-continuing character, so like... If I make him gay, no one will, like, know how him later on saying it's non-canon. You know what I mean? So, so was this novel, is this, I thought, is this novel older than I realized? Because I've done a shockingly oh, this, little research Oh, on this. this novel is really old. Like, the audiobook came out, like, uh, this year because fans love this oh. book so much. But this book came out in, like, the early 2000s. Hence why say, you can't find it. It's, like, $100 right. for a print. Because Star Trek is gay as fuck now. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's which, super gay. Yeah. yeah so, that's so, yeah, great, this, book is, like, this book is relatively older. So. Okay. See, I, I, sh- I usually do more research in this. But I thought, you know, Jesse's <laughs> going to know all this stuff. I can, <laughs> I will, I will. She can just do all the details, so I don't have to. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, the 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 time period in which this came out is like the the they could not make it a place. And also something fun, if you want something fun, the actor the actor and both uh, Garrick and Bashir fully support the characters being gay. Yes. And they did um, during the pandemic. They did fan fiction readings of them being gay together. Yes. So I it's love not that, that I, they did want to know homo. It. I was going to say I saw this on a YouTube. Video. It's probably yours. It's probably yours. But I did see. It was just the bit where they they do this uh, the back and forth thing at the end. It's just like, God, can I not have five minutes alone with my husband? I was like, ah! <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's beautiful. So yeah, they fully support it. They're down for yeah. it. So. Well, that's why I was so shocked that it wasn't more open. I was expecting some straight up romances with guys in this. So mm. knowing it came out during the don't ask, don't tell period of Star Trek makes so much more sense now. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I I apologize to. Uh, so what's the what's the author's name again? Uh, uh, Andrew Robinson. I apologize to Andrew Robinson for my, for uh, misjudging him. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, I think he's he's fully on board for it. I think he just at the time like the closest he could mm. get was I liked these guys, but it was definitely yep. for their power. I was I was this this tall, muscular, strong man who I was drawn to because he was so cool and I wanted to be like him. Exactly, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, not in him. I mean, okay. what? Who said what? That does recontextualize <laughs> everything that I read where it was just like they th- he would seem like he was leaning towards it then back off. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, well, I feel so much better now. Okay. Yeah, and it, it fits within the story, too, because, like, you would think Garrick would kind of, like, be, you know, I mean, if he raised in such a homophobic society, he would kind of be like, I'm attracted, but I still mm-hmm. haven't unpacked that completely yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, that's awesome. Okay. Um, oh, other interesting thing. Well, there's two other interesting things that, like, were in this book that sort of recontextualize a little bit of uh, Deep Space Nine for me. Was The first one is, it never occurred to me that Garrick might be a little butthurt that Cisco <laughs> was not more grateful about oh, in the yeah. pale moonlight because he was just like man I murdered that guy for him <laughs> I I made you an accomplice for one of the most heinous 
unespionages in the Federation history as far as we know. And you are just being very ungrateful about it, you sassy bitch. Like, yeah. No, I lo- that's one of the best parts is like the whole time, like he's uh, in the present day timeline, he's like, man, these people just are so naive. Like, Bashir, you're so naive. Cisco, like, I like him. He's a good leader. But man, he is very ungrateful and just not willing to go far enough. It's like mm-hmm. these people are so uh, uh, innocent. Like the Federation just so innocent is this idea. Yeah. But it was uh, just like, you could at least give me the old like, nod and a wink. Say, thank Thanks for doing murder for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Assassinating a political figure to bring an entire species into a war illegally. Mm-hmm. Or, well, immorally. Uh. <laughs> and I also love, like, I also love the constant thing. I was like, the Federation is, ju- you're just as bad as us. Where it's like, you, you mm. bring everyone in and you, you, you use politics. You may not use yes. war, but you use politics to bring people into your hegemony. Like, you're just like us. And it's, I... it's, a, it's a worthwhile critique to make of, like, you could, like, the Federation is not that, but it's, it could very easily fall into that if they're not vigilant. It's how it's viewed. I mean, that mm-hmm. comes up a lot, because, like, that's also, uh, 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 Quark made that argument mm-hmm. within the show a few sort of times. It's like, you, you judge the Borg, but, like, have you noticed that every Federation world that be- just becomes a Federation world, y'all have the mm-hmm. same values, you guys, all there, any sort of political differences will s- are slowly smoothed out mm-hmm. until you are based, you know, so your Federation first and then an individual second, which is a reasonable critique. Mm-hmm. I don't... S- Really, like they, you know, the thing about democracy is it's not the perfect system; it's just the best available. Yeah, it's, and that is it's, c- it's an imperfect problem to a perfect mess. I think they say in the yes, book. Yeah. they use that exact term. So Garrick, middle sort of early to middle Garrick's th- thought process was: yes, it has these flaws, and yes, it does seem to an outsider like a big unit. Therefore, you're just as bad as us fascists. Da la 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 la. We're actually you're all this. We're the same, you and I. It's like, yeah, you kind of, you went from A to B to Z there, Garrett. Because yep. that's how he was trained to think. Um, yep. the, Star Trek, the Star Trek is best to me is when it's like saying, these systems are here to enable the individual to be their best selves and pursue what they want, not mm. there to make every individual like fit a function. So like if people say like, oh yeah, everyone should fit into Starfleet and just be part of the Starfleet machine, like no, 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 no. What it should be is Starfleet enables people to pursue their best selves. And they create a community that like sometimes needs like we need to come together to fight the Borg or fight whoever, but it's really about exploring ourselves and the universe. Mm-hmm. So. so that's, yeah, so that's again, the nuances of this book just blew me away. One other thing, too, I loved about this book is um, we talked about the Nazi school a little bit and how, like, the the Nazi school is, like, they put them into these groups and they force them to fight each other a bunch of times for power. And, and they say, like, we're all for the state and everything, but they're forcing this competition upon them. And then how those resentments at this school continue throughout their entire adult life. Like Garrett keeps running into these same students from that he was fighting and they still harbor the resentments. And that's actually like, and the book makes clear, like that's part of the point. Like part mm-hmm. of the point is to fuel them on like distrusting each other, hating each other and, and like harboring these like petty resentments so that they ultimately like just constantly just focus on the state and not actually find like yeah. community and, and solidarity with each other. Like, it's just like how fucked up this school is where it's just like, it teaches them to like subsume themselves of the state, but also builds the very resentments that they are supposed to isolate themselves with throughout their entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and that's Cardassia's downfall in the end, which is, yeah. I mean, so many people, I mean, Garrick ended up straight up murdering a bitch who, <laughs> and the, the thing is, he just wouldn't stop underestimating him from mm-hmm. day one. I mean, he portrays him a bunch of times, and then he's just like, yeah, I'll be a fine alone with this highly trained espionage agent, and mm-hmm. Garrick chokes him to death, and it's like, yeah, what did you expect to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was chill, come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, but uh, it's interesting because Garrick has a thing in his head which converts pain to pleasure. Mm-hmm. So he's basically a, a cyborg masochist. So <laughs> trying to torture Garrick is just you know, like building, you know, you're not doing him any disservice. He's like, no, more daddy. Okay, and time for you to die. <laughs> so. Yeah, there is that one point too where like someone kicks him in the genitals at one point. He's like, oh, this felt oh. good. It was weird. <laughs> it's like, I know in pre- yes, it's a weird dichotomy because I feel like I know in principle this is really bad, but oh, that felt so good. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. his brain's fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. Which, uh, okay, so going back slightly, uh, the other thing that I was really fascinated to find out in this book, and I, I, how canon is this book considered? It's uh, the way Star Trek novels generally work is they are canon until proven otherwise. Mm. So this one, gen- there, there's been a whole like upset, like because it's kind of the same thing with Star Wars where they kind of did a wipe of yes. all of the stuff. At least they had a books that like wrapped it out and tied it in. But um, this book technically is still like part of the canon, but like it's. It, until proven otherwise, like it could, some other book down it's, the line could be like it's different, but this one still technically kind of is. Fair enough. So what f- it was interesting to me because there's always this whole thing in season one where it's like we kind of know he's a spy, but how open? Mm. We knew he was left behind, and that was a surprise to the Bajorans and the Federation. What was interesting to find out in this book was this was also a huge surprise to Garrick. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they just didn't tell him <laughs> that they were like, leaving. Oh, yeah. He woke up one morning and all the other Cardassians had fucked off. And he was just alone on this planet of people who'd been abused for a century. <laughs> By people like him. And he's like, well, right. I will he's hang out He's suddenly the last ring. Nazi in France. And he's like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> it is very dark, but also hilarious. Yeah. Again, that's the moment, the moment where Rom comes, comes in. and is nice to him, and I love that Ferengi so much. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I do, I liked Garrick. Obviously, he's needed some serious de-indoctrinating, uh, but it was just that, with that moment, which was just like, oh, you poor, but it was, it's funny, but also I feel so bad for you, because, like, getting left behind is is traumatic at the best of times, but this is, like, the worst possible scenario for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I will say, too, if um, if you want to, like, follow Garrick's story more, these are the books that technically haven't become, well, again, putting on the Trekkie cap, there is an author named Una McCormick, who is, uh, hands down, besides probably Le Guin, my favorite author. I adore mm-hmm. Una McCormick so much. And she writes Star Trek novels. But she ri- she has focused a lot on the Cardassians specifically because she fell in love with Garrick and this book. Um, and so she's written a bunch of different novels that continue Garrick's storyline after this point. And eventually it does reach a point where he does admit his feelings to Bashir and they do fall in love. Sadly, that timeline then in the very next book gets erased to make oh, it fit the current Star Trek canon. But then Una McCormick wrote a new book that I think is legitimately one of the most beautiful. I, if you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it to you. Um, it's called uh, oh god what is it uh, I'll, I'll look it up when we talk but it's the most recent like book she wrote for Star Trek Picard that series and it involves Garrick as well um, and it is the way she gives kind of a, another ending like there's the ending with Garrick and Bashir together in the non-canon version that is a really beautiful ending and then she took another novel that's now in canon and gives Garrick an entirely different ending that is also equally as beautiful and it's really really wonderful and I I would highly recommend it does it contradict this book it does not contradict this book at all it it would contradict the the books that like kind of follow in the non-canon verse if that makes sense. Okay. But, but you could read this one and then the Star Trek Picard novel and it would follow kind of one for one. 
So you can tell, you know, I was I was lecturing my audience in the in the Shatner book thing. Mm. It was like, you know, there's different levels of canon. Not everyone knows this, and like, I was bluffing because so, I don't have any fucking clue which one. <laughs> Ask I'm like, me, I will tell I, you yeah, exactly. This is why you would like. I'm sorry for ranting so much. You, I was like, no, this is this is saving me all the research. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I think I even messaged you right after the, your video came out because your video was great on Shatner. But I messaged you like, well, you said technically Shatner wrote nine books. Technically, he wrote ten, uh, right. and there was an eleventh on the way that never came out because the Star Trek two thousand nine came out. <laughs> so there's two, there's three mistakes in that. One of them was on purpose because I, I, I occasionally trolled people for extra comments. Uh, so I said Worf's uh, three six nine, which I, did, <laughs> I that one I did intentional to mess with Star Trek fans because mm-hmm. I was expecting so many M Achilles, which I, you know it's just it's it's partly to game the system with the comments and partly just because I like teasing people. But yeah. uh, no, I've the, done it too. Don't worry. <laughs> underestimating how much people didn't like Shatner was was a genuine mistake and. Uh, Nine, ten novels. Yeah, I can live with that, I, yeah. and I can live with it. So I can. Um, I will say the Una McCormick novel that I just referenced was uh, Star Trek: Picard's Second Self. And and if anyone, if anyone um, listening does not want to read Star Trek novels, but like wants to at least try one that they think is really beautiful, I would recommend the one that we're currently talking about. Just pick up that one and read. Or if you're more, uh, if you want to read something else or continue from this, the Star Trek Picard novel, Second Self, um, I legitimately think is another really beautiful novel on a kin, on the level of this one. Because this, that one talks about like cycles of trauma as well and how that happens through genocide. And Garrick kind of gets involved in that in a way of like recognizing his own complicity in those horrific actions and how to help prevent that in the future, but also taking accountability for mm-hmm. what he had done. It's a really interesting story. So. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try and check that check that out. Um, yeah. So uh, the other moment, uh, this is more predictable, the other moment that made me tear up was just the ending of the main book. There's an epilogue after the last chapter, but just, he's, you know, there's a, they've, they've driven off the Nazis with nonviolent protests. They're about to have the first, uh, uh, you know, vote. Uh, election, yeah. Basically. Yeah, and the Re-election. sun's coming up, and it's just, it's it's cheesy, I know, but, like, he just wrote it so beautifully that Garrick is exhausted, he's been up all night, he's exhausted from his life mm-hmm. and everything, but there's a new dawn, and he's just like, yeah, just in, there's just enough light for us yeah. to, to do this, and I was just like, fuck, that's so good! Yeah, and <sighs> also, too, and on a personal level, kind of going to your no homo thing a little bit, too, was the book ends with him sort of saying also, like, there's this mask, the mask that he was talking that sort of represents art and like mm-hmm. deeper thinking about the self throughout the book. He has one, and he messages to Bashir at the end. Is like, I would really love to show it to you. It would make please me. It would please me. Nothing. I'd love you to, nope. yeah. yeah, it's like it would. Ple- nothing would please me more than to show this mask to you. And yeah. that's him inviting Bashir to the planet. And the way I always read this when I first read the novel when it came out was him being like. I'm inviting you to the planet so that I can show you my true self and admit my feelings to you in person, um, which is kind of how it, the Una McCormick novels go as well. So it is interesting because it highlights how much easier it is to flirt as opposed to actually, actually share saying. your feelings. Because mm-hmm. he's flirting with he, well, he clearly wants that Doctor Cock from yeah, right from yeah. season one, but he's never actually said I'm in love with you, Doctor. <laughs> And I think he does see it as, like, a power move, too, because, like, he, he views relationships as power. And so, like, yeah, he does have attraction to the doctor, but it also makes the doctor feel uncomfortable. Um, and that way he – and that's a way that he can, like, have a power over Bashir. Um, and so he's using his flirtation as, like, a power dynamic instead of, like, an actual equitable equitable relationship. Mm. Um, and, and it kind of speaks to his mindset as, like, an indoctrinated fascist yeah. at the time. And it- 
It's also interesting, again, on that note, that he doesn't... Like, there's this bit in the middle timeline where Bashir is avoiding him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't get why he's avoiding me. And it's like, Garrick, everything is a power play with you. Everything is manipulation. Mm-hmm. I think Bashir is just tired of it. Yeah. You know, they also, you know, so... He, but he doesn't, like, get that. He doesn't get that every friendship doesn't have to have an ulterior motive and stuff. Because he's just yeah. so programmed. And he gets there at the end, like, right before mm-hmm. the, that section... That section of the novel ends right when he goes off to Cardassia. And he has this, like, big moment with the Doctor of, like... No, I'm going to be earnest with you and tell you what you meant to me and saying mm-hmm. you saved my life for numerous times, like references episodes of the show of like you saved yeah. my life doing this, you saved my life doing this. And, you know, our, and he gives like this huge like spiritual belief that he believes of like, you know, when we dream, we're actually experiencing like our higher selves working on this metaphysical plane. And I had forgotten that and you helped me remember it. And that's why you appeared in my dream because I felt like you were – up, we were interacting together and it's it's like him i think for the first time actually being vulnerable mm-hmm. with bashir in a really beautiful way and he can't fully he can't fully articulate what he wants to say but he almost gets there and that's why i read the end of the book is like uh, it's sort of like again recognizing the time in which the book was made i think the book is like ending on a i want to tell bashir that i love him um okay. and i feel like that's the note that the book kind of is like angling towards without saying it in the end yeah well, see, that's again my my white middle class uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, cis het brain misses those nuances well it's also the context of when it came out I feel like they could, mm. he probably could have been a bit more explicit about it had it been written today you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so that's oh damn beautiful book I you you did not undersell it when you, yeah. you told me that I was just yeah so people don't see. believe me when I say like Star Trek novels are some of my favorite part of Star Trek and there's some beautiful fucking Star Trek books that are better and I know it's a controversial statement better than the show because they don't have to be necessarily beholden to like either the limitations of the show or the like the the like rules of the show because like Rick Berman, especially at the time, had a lot of weird rules about what Star Trek could be. And so the books would be like, I don't know, we're doing weird shit today. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. so. They can get very weird. Actually, you know, this is a weird sort of Don backstory. The first trilogy of books I remember reading, because I'd read individual books, mm-hmm. and I'd read, had, my father had read me a lot of books when I was younger, but the first trilogy of books that I remember reading from start to finish was, uh, was a Star Trek uh, series. It was original series. It was the backstory behind Kirk and, what was his name, Mitchell? The guy mm. who dies in the pilot. Gary Mitchell, yeah. Gary Mitchell, Gary Mitchell yeah. So Gary, it was about, there was three novels that were set through different periods of their life. It, the framing device was he was making a speech at Gary Mitchell's funeral. Mm. My and Brother's Keeper, it, was that the book series, I think? It's, it was like 20 years, the, <laughs> 25 years ago, fuck I'm old. So I, I'd, <laughs> I can't quite remember, but yeah, the end, it made me cry at the end. just because. But like, it is interesting because I remember that in that pilot, and the, so I was getting distracted again, but the... The the emphasis is on the romance, the death of the romance of the week, because mm-hmm. Mitchell's death is less important to Kirk than the hot girl who died as well. Yeah, uh, but this book really reframed. It's like actually no, these two were best friends for decades. Mm-hmm. Kirk said goodbye to the hot love interest, and then he was mourning for years over Gary. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought that was really interesting. They also, but they also explored like their time at the academy, their time on their first starship together, and how Gary, how Gary was sort of uh, coasting through the academy because he could read minds, so he didn't have to get, <laughs> he he could he knew the answers to questions just by reading it from the professor's head. So when uh, Kirk became a instructor, he started arranging it so Gary couldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, oh so, yeah. 
so yeah, that's just that, that's my history. So I've also also had like a long history of enjoying Star Trek books. I guess somewhere down the line, mm. I stopped respecting what I called fan fiction, which mm. was extended universe books. Why you know William Shatner wrote Star Trek fan fiction. Mm-hmm. I, this may have brought me back around. I gotta I, say. I I do think like in, in and like understandably so to a degree. Like some tie-in fiction is literally just there to like churn out crap. Like it's just like let's just churn something out so people we can make a quick buck. Like some they wrote it in a weekend or whatever. Um, but the, I do think there are a lot of tie-in authors who really um, who really are are doing really beautiful things. That like Timothy Zahn, I would put up there like in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would say this book. And and again, if I can, if I could shake you and get you to read anything, Dom, um, read Una McCormick. Like legitimately, besides Ursula K. Le Guin, I would arguably say one of my favorite authors of all time. Um, with and if I were to say like, if you want to read something right after this, that kind of fits in line with this book. Read second self, second self, because that's a. Self. I, I think it's a really beautiful one. So. Second self. So yeah, I think I think I think there's 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 good reason to deride a lot of tie-in fiction, uh, but there's also uh, I think a lot more good yeah. there that people just automatically dismiss. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of them are written just to churn out money, and some of them, again, Shatner, are written just to stoke <laughs> stoke someone's ego, mm-hmm. uh, which is fascinating in its own way. I I honestly, Dom, I want you to read do more videos on those books because they they get wild, and I love them because of how just ridiculously ego stroking they become. <laughs> I'm not sure I can take it, man. Cause I was just getting <laughs> so frustrated. Oh, legit, uh, like, the end of the sixth book is literally, like, it, he, like, meets these aliens who, like, made all of space and time, and he, like, goes into this room, and they're like, we made every, we made Earth, we made the entire universe, so that you could be born, Shatner, so at this moment, you could, uh, oh, I mean, Kirk, not Shatner, but Kirk, but Shatner. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, see, I, uh, made, yeah, I made yeah, that mistake yeah, so many times. Yeah. I was writing my script, and I was like, I've written Shatner where I was meant to write Kirk a bunch of times, because it's yeah. so obviously Mary Sue. Yeah, it's like they literally make it he makes it in the sixth book of like that all of space and time was made to create him and then the second trilogy after that or the third trilogy after that is like his son is space jesus but there's also a novel sorry this is me just ranting off but this will be the last sign which son is this the one who died yeah the one that like no there's the one that he has with no there's the one that he has with the girl that he like keeps referencing in the novels and he eventually marries her and then she gets uh she gets uh buried as well um because we have to fridge the wife at some point yeah um and then they have a child who is like his wife is part romulan part klingon and now part human because of kirk and so like their child is like the space jesus of like all three communities and like it's it's a whole thing (sighs) but there is also a novel that is just sheer fun called captain's peril where kirk and picard take a holiday on bajor together at an archaeological dig and then a murder happens and it becomes like this agatha christie kind of murder but then picard gets kidnapped by a space kraken and kirk has to go save picard from the space kraken (laughs) it's it's wild you told me about because yes, it's the damsel in distress. Yeah, Picard of the damsel in distress. For and the, Kirk to the, save. the alpha male uh, Kirk saves the beta Kirk Picard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The book literally begins with them like we're gonna skydive into Bajor from space, and Picard's like, I don't want to do that. I'm too scared. And Kirk's like, Stop being a pussy. Let's do it. That's Picard. what he does in the in the book that he <laughs> yeah, wrote. Yeah. Kirk Picard does the Starship Trooper skydive. Yeah, they do it again in that novel, and Picard's but now he's like, I'm too scared. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh, for for those listening, non-Patreons listening without the advantage of our beautiful faces on video, I'm rolling my eyes so hard I'm worried it's going to ascend into my brain. Um, yeah. If you want to uh, Mary Sue Agatha Christie space novel, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Okay, I, don't, I, I shouldn't not... compare it to Agatha Christie because it's not that level, but it's fun. Yeah. 
I may not have the the mental spoons to read it, but perhaps it, maybe we'll do a live stream someday, and we'll we'll do a live <laughs> we'll do reading together. of this shit. Yeah. yeah, maybe you can help me through it. Uh, uh, he does form this relationship with this woman, um, Palandine, I think is what her name is. Um, throughout the book, that like they meet in uh, the fascist school, and then he they. He, she kind of betrays him so she can like move up with the guy that's like higher up on the chain and then he like meets her as a uh like she meets her later on and he kind of has an affair with her because they both have feelings for each other and it's just this kind of thing of like how they weren't able to ever like connect with each other because they had this apparatus of like they had to think more about status than each other because they did actually have a connection but it just because they were thinking more about the state and status they they end up yeah. really hurting each other to the point where like <sighs> Garrick actually kills her her um, uh, husband yes. and like you can't even speak to her child because he worries that That's, she'll resent him understand that is himself. the thing yes no that is a very interesting point because at the end of the novel he's saying like I really want to track this woman down I'm, you know, but the only pos- the only connection I have is her daughter, and I really can't talk to her because I kind of murdered her dad, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. I don't think she's gonna want to talk to me because I murdered her dad. I was like, yeah, probably not, dude. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I just remembered what I was gonna talk about. Okay, so I was just gonna say, speaking of Shatner and his his massive ego, uh, props to you know Garrick. He Garrick Garrick's contribution to the redemption of Cardassia and the, you know, is he is not the new president of a democratic mm-hmm. Cardassia. He is friends with the guy who is kind of making a push for that. Mm-hmm. Garrick's is more just like too tired of politics to do that. Garrick is just the guy who, provi- who starts doing this memorial and he gives people the place and the space to gather and discuss this. Mm-hmm. So it's more like he creates the platform to help the ne- these other people bring Cardassia yeah. into a new not fascist future yeah. and I, I, I was like that is it's it's not like he had no contribution but it's like the most humble possible contribution he could have made so again it's it's an author who understands the importance of little things and is more than happy for his character to play that small but very important role so I, again I, I just want to say respect to this author for this this humble yet very intelligent ending for his character yeah, and, and even the character is very humble in the sense that, like, he realized that he cannot be the one to do that because, not just because of, like, the politics of it and how he'd be viewed, but, like, he isn't healed enough and he isn't yes. what they need right now. He even tells the the guy who is angling to become the new leader, he's like, don't think like a politician, think like a doctor. Clearly alluding yes, to Because he's Bashir. a doctor. He just say yeah. like, yeah, I've learned yeah. that doctors can be many things and very mm-hmm. one, you know, and that the, the, what was it, the potential of doctors mm-hmm. uh, like, referencing like, his like, boy for toy. You know? Yeah, exactly. And just being like, why don't you uh, like think about the planet as a patient that you're trying to heal? And it's just like a way of thinking of that he cannot do because he's been so indoctrinated and still rehealing from that. And it's like, mm-hmm. you can do it, though, because you can think that way. Yeah. And, yeah, that's just oh, very – it's just very moving. Fuck. Yeah. It's a very moving novel. I, I, I literally like uh, – it's also a trip, too, to listen to um, – uh, the the audiobook because it's read by the actor so he's he's playing and you you sense like I, if anyone does I mean read it however it works best for you but if you ever get the chance to listen to the audiobook he plays it so melancholy like you can definitely hear Garrick in there but he's just a Garrick that is just sad yeah you can, no that, you that's really again, I yeah. I am excessively empathetic towards 
feeling some books is why I sometimes have to limit what I read because I'm scared <laughs> yeah. of the emotions of it yeah. overwhelming me. But yes, his his sadness at the end was really getting to me. So I'm so glad it ended with a very I positive note. Po- yeah, because I was I would have been bawling otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, if you listen to that audiobook, like, he, he plays it as Garrick. Like, he, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really great audiobook to have done because he's, the book is written from his, as a letter. So it's like literally just he's yeah. playing Garrick, and it's, it's really great. Yes. On Jesse's recommendation, I did listen to this as an audiobook, and I can mm. highly recommend it because, mm-hmm. again, it's, you get the voice. It's the voice mm-hmm. of the character, the voice of the author. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. Not all audio, some audiobooks you do lose a bit of. Yeah. They, the danger of audiobooks, and again, I'm not saying don't listen to audiobooks, I actually love mm. them personally, but like, it does add a certain voice to it that's not. That, if you're reading directly, there's the inflection. You know what I'm trying to say here? There's like yeah, inflections, yeah. There's, there's a way you can put. It, it just adds a certain interpretation of it that's not yeah. necessarily yours. And yeah. so that's not necessarily a bad thing, but. It's different. I mean, we, we the, one of the joys of reading books is that we can we can create the whole world on our own. And when you have someone read it, that adds a, another interaction of interpretation that you still have some element of like doing the visuals, but the audio still has an interpretation line into it, which is this. I mean, that's just fine. There's, that's why we go see theater. That's why we see movies. But it is different than just mm-hmm. reading. So. Yeah. So again, it's not a bad thing. It's just different. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sorry, I was just repeating back what you were saying. <laughs> well, I was Mansplaining. repeating what you were saying. It's great. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how dare you? How dare how you? Da- I was just like, I was. I thought I was putting a spin on it. But it was like, no, that's literally what she just said. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I, I think, when I think of Dom, I think of mansplainer. That's yeah, really what I. That's think kind of, of my like, my yeah. mo. That's my, <laughs> my unique selling point is it's like handsome mansplaining. That's my whole thing. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so is there anything like to wrap up on? Any final notes on this this novel? No, I think it's. I think we touched upon everything. Go read it. Read absolutely. Read more, yeah. Highly recommend as well. And that's yep. that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, and keeping in mind that this this podcast will be coming out to the masses in two months. Is there mm-hmm. any video you would like to promote or any project? Um, I hopefully it'll be out by then. But I guess the two things that I will promote really quickly are uh, one is I by the time this comes out, I probably will have released this video on Star Wars that I'm doing. That is about Ooh. I know I'm me about Star Wars. Ooh. Um, oh, it's not staying know, in your lane right. there. I know, I know. Uh, but it's going to be this big thing. We're doing animation for it. We're talking about like I'm literally analyzing. It's like me trying to put. Uh, all of Star Wars, down to the novels. Like, I get into, like, Timothy Zahn novels and all the comic Ooh. books, trying to put all of it into a framework uh, to to help analyze it. It'll be, like, several hours long, um, but it'll be, like, we're going to talk about every, ep- like, all the episodes of Mandalorian, all that jazz. So that video I'm very excited about, so that'll be coming. How many uh, hours is this video going to be, Jesse? <laughs> five right now? It's five hours right now? <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I've been working on it for well over a year, so I'm excited for that to come out. That'll be out. And then the other thing I'll promote is it will probably not be out by the time this audiobook comes out, we'll, but we'll be done filming. It'll be coming out hopefully early next year. But um, I am making a movie called Identities, which is a science fiction uh, film that I like to sort of say is Matrix meets Severance. Uh, so I'm very excited about it, and I've got, speaking of Star Trek, like, John Delancey is going to be in it, Jessica Nicole, who was um, Astrid in Fringe, is in it, um, Abigail Thorne, who is the wonderful Philosophy Tube, is in it, um, as, many, as well as many other wonderful people, so it's a very queer film, very trans film, and very science fiction film um, that'll be available on Nebula when it comes out uh, early next year, so sign up for Nebula so if you want to support for that. that. Yeah. That's going to so. be so cool. Yeah, everyone get ready for that. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, I'm, very fu- I'm very pumped. 
But yeah, well, thank you for joining us, everyone. Uh, if you would like to see this podcast with our beautiful faces included, and this will definitely be the one to do that. I know <laughs> I may I may put a little uh, note notification about this at the start of the episode as well when it comes out in audio because I'm wearing a Star Trek uniform. And I feel Jesse's, bad that I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, well, oh. But Jessie's glasses are color-coordinated with her shirt, and I cannot express just how fabulous that is. It is. And also and the teeth. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, the, this is the level of coordination I've never achieved in this life. It makes so, it easy if everything you own is blue. Dom. Right, yes. There's, yeah, there's, there's yeah. this incredible sky blue, and you've got this, this, this button-down shirt and glasses that match, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's overwhelming. So this would be the time to, to become a patron and watch this video with visuals. Uh, and yeah, otherwise, uh, so me and Jesse are also about to step into the VIP room where we're just going to mm. shoot the shit for a bit with uh, no, no gods, no kings, no masters, no subjects. And that will also be available exclusively on Patreon, so be sure to check that out. And be sure to check out Jesse Gender's channel of the same name mm -hmm. for, for amazing Star Trek uh, content. Yeah, thank you so right. much. Peace and love, y'all.